Okay, hi guys, welcome to another episode of my podcast. Uh, my name is Mari Tate, I'm your host. Um, you're floating on the Mari Cloud. And um, today's uh, podcast is going to be about you, season four, starring Pin Badgley. Um, and of course, Tati Gabrielle, Charlotte Ritchie, uh, Tealy Keeper, Amy Lee Hickman, Ed Spielers, and Lucas Cage. Okay, so for starters, I think it was a general consensus that part one was sort of lacking. And it was kind of like everybody was taking a turn where they were like, okay, what's going on with this? This is not the Joe that we fell in love with season one. Like, who is this guy? Like, it started off with like a predictable whodunit type of uh, thing that we've seen like multiple times in other TV shows. So it was kind of like underwhelming until we got to part two. (laughs) And that's where I was like, oh man, this is exactly why I fell in love with this show. So let's get into it. (laughs) Okay, so for starters, I'm just going to read off the cast. Um, So of course you have your one and only Uh, Joe Goldberg, he's the professor in the season. He plays uh, also Professor Jonathan Moore, and he stars Pin Badgley. We have Tati Gabrielle, she plays Marianne. Uh, Charlotte Ritchie as Kate. Tilly Keeper as Lady Phoebe. Amy Lee Hickman as Nadia. Ed Spielers as uh, Reese Montrose. Lucas Cage as Adam Pratt. Um, and then we also have our other characters who also starred in the series. I'm not going to go down every uh, person's name because it's so many to name. Uh, but we also had guest star appearances by Victoria Pedaretti um, as Love Quinn. And then we have Elizabeth Lale as Guinevere Beck. Okay, so I'm going to read a review off of uh, TV Guide, and it kind of just sums up my feelings about part one and part two, and then I'll kind of add my little um, take of how I feel about the entire uh, season of season four. And so without further ado, uh, these words are written by uh, Maggie Fremont, and also you can find this on the TV Guide. It's just like a general review. Okay, so here we go. So it says, uh, well, 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 what a clever little trap you laid out for us. If you found part one of Netflix's uh, serial killer drama fourth season a little underwhelming, you were not alone. In fact, in my own review of the first five episodes delivered to us back in February, I said they lack a little bite and uh, found uh, pitting Joe Goldberg against an invisible adversary and asking him to solve like a whodunit amongst a group of Uh, ridiculously deplorable English aristocrats, less than compelling, especially when compared to Joe's explosive toe-to-toe with his uh, dearly departed killer wife, Love Quinn, played by the one and only Victoria Pedaretti in season three. The first five episodes felt like Joe and the show were holding back and possibly even worse, attempting to give Joe Goldberg some sort of redemption arc. And that's, I'm gonna stop right there. That's the kind of thing that most people, it was kind of like a general consensus on the internet where they were kind of like, why is Joe trying to go back to, well, trying to go to this good, like, I'm a good guy type of thing. And I'm trying to be good. Like, that's not you, Joe, at your core. That's just not you. Like, considering all the things that you've, if you've been a loyal fan since season one, 
you know, considering all the things that Joe has done in the past, it's not saying that people can't change, but the, 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 um, the fundamental of Joe, like his psyche is just not wired that way. So you kind of feel like something's off with this guy and you don't want him to have like a redemption, right? You want him to, uh, you want him to have punishment and feel bad for the things that he did, which we kind of saw that he was trying to go that route but it didn't feel part one just didn't feel genuine enough to to have joe showcase in in that type of way in my opinion um so yeah it was just it just kind of felt like okay joe this this really isn't you (laughs) so that's that's the feeling that i was getting into um so it turns out that's because we were only getting half of the story Honestly, guys, when we are going to learn that Joe Goldberg, Joe Goldberg, oh, why do I keep messing up that name? Serial killer extraordinaire is an unreliable narrator. Um, so you season four, part one had Joe track down the latest love obsession, Marianne, played by Tati Gabrielle in London. Remember, at the end of season three, we were supposed to follow uh, Marianne to Paris. And that was kind of a letdown, uh, knowing that we shift the... Um, we shifted to London and I was kind of like, okay, whoa, where did London come from? And so they uh, kindly let her go as a way to show that he changed that, that she changed him and then take on an assumed identity where he plays the professor, uh, Jonathan Moore. He's like a literature professor at a university in the city. So he enmeshed himself with a clique of um, aforementioned aristocrats. And what do you know, once he... Um, started hanging around, uh, people started getting murdered. The apparent catch, though, was that Joe wasn't, as the press dubbed, the perpetrator, the eat the rich killer. Instead, the killer was on to Joe's true identity and taunting him by a way of dead bodies. And they were like anonymous text messages and threats to pin all the murders on him. And in this, in this uh, first part, we got to see Joe kind of figure out like, this is who I want to know. Who are you? Like him receiving the text messages. Like he wants to know, not only did we have like a, um, a woman that would usually be of Joe's interest, but the you this time around was, a, a who is this other murderer that, 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 that is, um, sort of similar to me that kind of has, kind of has my niche of like, this is what I like to do. Like there's, you mean there's another killer on the loose? I want to figure this person out. And how do they know me? Why are they tracking me? You know what I mean? And we got to kind of see Joy, I mean, Joe kind of have like this paranoia about it. And um, so the first five episodes were mostly Joe Goldberg does crisis management, right? It was a hoot in the way you is always a sick, twisted hoot. And, but it didn't feel like it was like leaving, leveling up the series in any way. Even the episode five revealed that the Eat the Rich Killer and Joe's very own stalker was a mayoral candidate and man of the people, Reese Montrose, played by Ed Spielers, uh, was a little deflating since Reese seemed like the most obvious suspect. Um, especially in the, the first part um, where, you know, Reese Montrose is kind of talking to Joe and they're at the bar at the party where we learn, you know, later on the first murder happened when Joe gets back into his apartment. 
Reese Montrose seems like the obvious because he just kind of seems like standoffish. He's kind of like in the lingering in the back. So you kind of do kind of put two and two together and it's kind of easy to figure out who the main suspect is. Like, oh, okay, of course it's Reese Montrose. Like part one wasn't like so surprising in a sense. They kind of build it this man up to be like, yeah, he's our number one perpetrator. So that was kind of like, oh, okay, okay. Of course, Joe's connected with him. Of course, this man is is following Joe. Of course, this man knows about Joe's past. You know, why not? Um, but in part two, we learned that this was all a setup for something much more complicated, much more compelling, and to be frank, something pretty freaking awesome. Um, and I kind of feel like us, some other people felt like this too. Maybe if, if you're a fan of, of you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like if you felt this way, you know, amazingly, I felt this way also. So Joe Goldberg has been the killer all along. Plot twist, <laughs> um, which was a very, very, um, to me, it was a really, really great twist, especially since I was so freaking bored in part one. In part one, I just kept thinking to myself, why are we following these English people? Why do I care about how rich they are and what they're doing? And why is Joe so invested in these people? Like, what, where are the connections, Joe? And and also, I was also thinking like, how did we just leave Marianne in like one episode? And then all of a sudden, Joe's like, yeah, I don't feel it anymore. I'm, I'm turning on a new leaf. I'll let you go. And it was like, that was the whole point of the ending of season three was because Joe was going to another country, going to another location to follow a woman to basically continue on with his weird, psychotic obsession, uh, a legacy that he basically has where he's following these women and he's on this serial killer uh, uh, angst and he's going off left field, right? <laughs> That's who Joe is. And so season one just kind of felt like, okay, are we going away from the plot? Are we going away from the main theme that, that, that what this guy started off in the beginning? But no, part two brings all of those plot holes that we had in part one, and it brings it full circle back together. And we start to put the puzzle pieces um, to, to, to fit them neat and perfectly, and it all makes sense. Part two is so, um, so much better, and it just... It, it just puts everything back into perspective of why Joe was doing the things that he was doing in part one. And then part two is like, okay, completion. It was very satisfying to me um, that Reese, he's been speaking to all this time, isn't the real Reese, but like a figment of Joe's imagination post psychotic break. And so the Reese doing all of the killing is simply like a manifestation of Joe's dark side. And once that is revealed, things really go off the rails in like an absolute best way. Um, so um, she, let's see, she uh, starts off by saying from the beginning, you has always been about Joe Goldberg wrestling with the darkness inside of him. It's why he's constantly trying to justify his actions with motivations of love and protection, explaining away brutal killings by rationalizing that his victims deserve it. Uh, Joe has always fashioned himself as a hero who just gets carried away sometimes. Um, in his mind, he always starts out with the best intentions. He, 
um, he's per uh, perpetrated this lie for so long and has committed such heinous acts in his name that, yeah, of course, a psychotic break was always in the cards. And what better way to let that part manifest than by, one, letting Joe really act out the role of hero as he tries to solve a murder mystery, and two, representing his dark side as a person um, is obsessed with, because as a person Joe is obsessed with because of that man's real life redemption arc. It's such a smart move and a reminder that the you premise, even in four seasons, hasn't become stale, right? This is what I stated before. That's why that's why we as an audience have uh, fallen so much in love and uh, with season one is because we see these things play out. We know that this is who Joe is, right? Um, it's not as an easy concept to pull off and could quickly feel a little cheesy or cheap, but it never does. Uh, thanks in a large part to the two actors now representing Joe Goldberg. Badgley is is uh, great as Joe. He becomes more and more unhinged and a uh, spieler. He plays, uh, uh, you know, Reese Montrose. He fully commits to embodying Joe's most menacing, menacing urges. Their chemistry is what really makes the whole thing work and their relationship only becomes more twisted and interesting to watch as the season hurdles uh, towards its conclusion. So looked at as a whole, the season feels a bit bloated. There are tangents that only minimally service the plot that could have been slimmed down or tossed away entirely. Uh, the less interesting storylines are only made more evident in part two. When the season is really clicking and one of the best adversaries you has ever introduced for Joe arrives in the form of uh, Tom Lockwood. Yep, you read that right. Tom is Kate's evil, powerful billionaire CEO father, who we've heard so much about, and oh boy, does he have Joe's number from the jump. It's perfect casting, really. Kenner is so uh, believable as the charismatic nice guy, and the quietly terrifying guy holds holding all the cards. Someone who knows exactly who and what Joe Goldberg is, but isn't at all afraid of him. Um, he's a highlight of the season, and not just because of Kenner, but because of what he represents as Joe. Um, as Tom points out himself, he and Joe are basically the same. They do anything to protect Kate. They are both men willing, perhaps craving to do terrible things and justify their actions with those noble motivations. But the difference between them is that is the important part. Joe romanticizes his sins. Uh, for Tom, it's all about business. Uh, this entire season is about Joe trying to detach and disassociate himself from his darker parts through a chaotic, psychotic break. Uh, the much cleaner way to do this, however, is Tom's way. He he doesn't get his hands dirty. He's all a matter of fact about the awful things he does and what he does. And, and Joe and Tom will never see eye to eye for several reasons that I won't spoil here. But by the season's end, it does seem like Joe might have learned a few things uh, from Tom. And, you know, Tom is Kate's father. Tom has been so, he infiltrated himself so much in Kate's life that she it's impossible for her to get anything on her own. Um, but you see in some ways that Tom can relate to Joe. And so we kind of see there's there's like a connection there with his character juxtaposed between, uh, you know, Joe and Tom. So um, let's see. And she also states, I'm not 
uh, sold on the rollout of season four, although it really won't matter much now that both parts are available in full. Still, it felt like a misstep to cleave the season in half where they did. Part one feels like an entirely different show on its own than it does once you understand the season as a whole. And in splitting up the two parts, some momentum was lost. I'd uh, posit that people who watch the season as a whole will enjoy it more than those who had to wait a month to learn what the season was actually about. Um, part two is far superior to part one. It has that wild energy that part one was in need of, the spark that makes you work. Uh, Joe goes on a journey as far as character development in part two, that journey and where Joe ends up points to a real plan for the series. There's uh, no need to worry if use Joe moves to a new city with his tragedy cage. Yep, the cage finally makes an appearance, becomes obsessed with a woman and goes on a killing spree. Shtick is all the show has to offer. Joe feels different by season's end. Growth isn't always positive, people, and it feels like only bigger and more terrible things await. Joe Goldberg. Boom. And that's exactly why I love this season, because it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> and I think that's what people love about the series in general. They love the, the, the chaos of it all, uh, the chaos of Joe, because... Uh, by the season's end, I'm just gonna like review like the last um, episode of uh, part two, episode 10. Um, by the end of the episode, we are now seeing that Joe is fully like his his uh, his character. He is a clean slate. He he now goes by his real name, Joe Goldberg, and not Professor Moore. Like he's um, in this relationship with he's full throttle in this relationship with Kate. His um, just because uh, the connections and the money and the, the things that she has with her connections, he's able to live out his quote unquote truth. Uh, we all know that's a lie. And of course, he tears people along the way because that's just who he is. Right. Um, so I'm just going to read um, the la the very last episode and then just kind of touch on the things that I found uh, quite interesting to me. Uh, the last episode is called The Death of Jonathan Moore. Uh, this one is, uh, let me see, it's directed by Harry and written by Michael Foley and Sarah Gamble, one of the creators of the show. And so, uh, so I'm just going to read like the excerpt from the episode. So, believing Marianne to have died, Joe disposes of her body at a park to make her look like she overdosed. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. This one I found really interesting because... Most of the time, Joe's victims do not get away, right? Whenever Beck, Love Quinn, um, numerous other people that he have that he has killed, like they don't get away. And for um, Marianne to have developed this plan with um, Joe's uh, one of Joe's students, I can't think of her name right now. Is it is it Nadia? Nadia, for Nadia to come up with this plan with Marianne to have to kind of trick. Joe and uh, to try to be like okay I'm going to be the one that solves this who done a case I'm so obsessed with this for her to be able to do that that's a really commendable thing to do because half of his victims never get away of course we know that the fate of Nadia she wasn't able to get away but the fact that she was able to help Marianne it, it was just like so smart of her um so Nadia however tells Edward that she and Marianne plotted to fake the latter's death so that he could so that she could escape. Kate tells Joe that her father revealed himself to have bankrolled uh, her every venture even when their estrangement and confides her fear of never escaping his control. Joel kills Lockwood. 
Okay, and the next morning attempts suicide by jumping off a bridge. However, the police rescue him. He awakens in the hospital to find Kate, who tells him she has inherited all of her father's assets and has already covered up Joe's involvement in uh, Reese's death. Joe decides to accept his darker half. He kills Edward, and then he frames Nadia for the crime, while Marianne reads an article about Joe while safely home with Juliet back in Paris. Juliet is her daughter. Joe moves back to New York with Kate, who runs her father's business after his death and makes Joe look like the victim who escaped Love Quinn, thus rehabilitating his public image. Um, so this was, as you can tell, this was definitely like a, a, a roller coaster of a series. I'm going to talk a little bit about the writing. Um, the season is primarily set in London, the first time outside the United States. Uh, the showrunner, Sarah Gamble, uh, said protagonist Joe is great while he's in an environment that's not natural to him, that's foreign to him. Part of the decision to set the story in another country arose from Gamble's decision to explore the world further after watching many other international series on Netflix while quarantining during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the story is also uh, briefly set in Paris, the idea being uh, co-creator Greg and Gamble's noted that since it is not a familiar place to Joe, he is like a fish out of water. Pin Badgley, who portrays Joe, said that while the fourth season would retain the tone of the series, we're using a different format. It's almost like we're shifting the, the genre slightly. The first half of the season is structured, structured like a whodunit, while the second half takes an inspiration from the Fight Club. And of course, we all know, uh, if you're a fan of the Fight Club, you know that uh, um, Brad Pitt played a character that did not even exist in the main protagonist's uh, reality, that he was actually a figment of his imagination the same way Joe the same way Reese Montrose is a figment of uh, Joe's imagination. So the whole time we as an audience are thinking that this person is real when in fact they are not. And this, the, the main protagonist is the one that's having this whole psychotic break and they're thinking things that, that are, that are the way they are, but really it's not what it seems when we go to our flashbacks and we really get to see like, okay, what happened to make it seem like, you know what I mean? Like, be, things are not what they seem. Um, I'm going to uh, pinpoint out one scene that I really enjoyed. And I and, and this is what really amped me up. Well, a few scenes. I'm going to say in part two, when it was revealed that Marianne was living in, like, the glass cage, I thought that was a, a really good plot twist because we're thinking, like, back in part one, look, he he completely left Marianne alone. He, uh, she was fine, right? She, he, he, he had, he was trying, he was on this train of going through the redemption arc and he was going to let her go. And we were going to see that kind of like subs, that kind of subside. And we didn't get that. Like we, we, we got, we got the same Joe that we always get. Like this is who Joe is to his core. And we see Marianne, which a fantabulous job, by uh, uh, the actress uh, Tati Gabrielle delivered a wonderful performance in The Glass Cage where she spent days and days while Joe just forgot that she was in there. And, you know, you see her going through her own mental break, missing her daughter. And she's like, why does this crazy guy have me stuck in here? I'm, I'm hungry. I don't have any food. I'm, you know, like really her actually reaching her breaking point, um, you know, being on, on the bounds of, of Joe and, 
you know, getting to see that scene was, I, I thought, uh, fantabulous because I don't even know if fantabulous is a word, but <laughs> it was just, it was just really awesome to, to see that, uh, performance by her and to see her character get so grappled up in this man's, um, psychosis. Like it, it was just amazing to me, um, seeing her wrapped up in that world and, and trying to, to get out and protect herself and, you know, what can she do? She's isolated. She's quarantined. She's, you know, not even, not even quarantined. I don't even want to use that word, but she's basically isolated from the world. Um, and, you know, having to cope with that. And when she meets, you know, Nadia, her little light of hope, it's like, that's when we get to see, you know, things progress. Um, I thought that was an interesting scene to see her montage of like her struggling in that glass cage. Uh, the second one, and I'll, I'll follow it up really quickly, and then I'm going to end it. Um, the second scene that I found very interesting was um, Joe showing up at Reese Montrose house and him telling him like, you know, where the, where the crap is Marianne? Like, where is she? And Reese Montrose is like, well, I have no idea who you are and I don't know what you're talking about. And then at first, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, does this guy have like a twin? Like, is Reese Montrose a twin? And it's his, is the plot twist? Cause I thought I had to figure, figure it out. I was like, is the plot twist, is that it's not really him, but he has a twin that's doing these things. But then, quickly as the episodes you know came shooting out I was like oh my gosh this guy had nothing to do with it at all like the whole entire time it was Joe Goldberg Joe Goldberg was listening to this man had this man on repeat listening to him through the internet through a podcast or whatever he was listening to while he was doing all of these things and thinking of himself as the hero thinking of himself as coming up and relating to uh, Reese Montrose's story when actually he never actually, when Joe never actually met the guy. So Joe's going through the psychotic break. He's like, he basically tortures uh, his uh, uh, Reese Montrose private parts. I'm not really sure what he's doing there, but Reese Montrose is, you know, sticking with that story. Like he's denying, denying. He's like, I have no idea who you are and I don't know who Marianne is. And us as an audience are like so freaking confused. We're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like you've been doing all of the stuff. Like Joe's been trying to be on like the good side. And then in actuality, you know, as we get down to the truth, that's not the case. And, and Joe's like, you know, nobody has been sending me text messages. I've just been thinking about those things. Um, nobody has been, you know, killing these aristocrats that I'm with. I, I've been doing that the whole time. <laughs> Like, you know, just really feeling for Joe. And then that scene where we got to meet like the actual Reese Montrose and the first time that Joe is actually meeting him, he's never met him and he's killing him. Like, we're like, you've never actually met the real guy, Joe. It was just a figment of your imagination the whole time. And now you're killing this very real guy. <laughs> so that was a that was a very interesting scene to me and, and kind of letting... Uh, Reese Montrose be like the the darker side of Joe having his well having Joe's darker side personified and using as a whole person as a character because we're because basically the basis of the show right is that Joe uh, the you series is basically an internal monologue of how this person is thinking and feeling the entire time every time we see a scene or every time we see an action 
Joe is always narrating it and we get to see him be this unreliable narrator uh, this season. So it was really, really interesting. Those are two scenes that really stuck out to me. I'm very, very satisfied with the plot twist. I gotta say part one, I was gonna do a podcast on it, but I was like, what's the purpose of it? Because it was so boring. Like it's not necessary, but I did do a podcast on season three and I and I love this show so much that I that I was like, I gotta do a part. Uh, I gotta do a, a I gotta review a part four. I have to, I have to. I love this show so much. Why not? Um, but I think Penn Badgley, he does a wonderful job. Um, he directed one of the episodes. I think the second to the last episode he directed wonderful job I think he plays a fantastic Joe Goldberg um all in all I thought the season season part one season four of you part one was underwhelming but it it redeemed itself when it got to part two and it was like okay the puzzle is finished (laughs) like I'm satisfied and I'm so excited for season five um I heard uh, it got renewed for season five so I'm excited for that um I just wanted to say my piece about this show. I really do, um, I really do think this is a phenomenal show. Um, all the creators and even the source material that it was created from, um, I just really appreciate this show. I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, so all in all, tell me what you guys think about you season four. Did you think it was as interesting as I did when it got to part two or did you think it was boring in part one? Um, you know, tell me your thoughts. Um, are you guys excited for season five? If there's any other TV shows, movies, or anything that you want me to review or think about, or anything that's a part of pop culture, just let me know on my Twitter and my TikTok. It's all in my description box. As always, next time, my name is Mari Tate. You're listening to the Mari Cloud. And peace. Bye, guys.